our speaker tonight is Tish. Compulsive Reader Bulimic Anorexic. Someone take a breath. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> I don't always get nervous sometimes. I wasn't nervous until I walked in here. So that's okay. That's okay. So I'll take a breath. And um, so I'm just so glad to be here. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I have a life really beyond my wildest dreams, like the book says. And it's because of these rooms and this program. And I know today, without these rooms and this program, I would not be here. Um, by the time I got into recovery, I was on AKG and I was um, pretty close to having a heart attack. So that's where food got me and um, got me here too. And today, this is my spiritual group. This is my church. This is where God brings me, and this is where um, the gifts God have the gifts God have given me have come from here. So I came into these rooms in 1985. Um, I was in college, and I was uh, out of control. Food was out of control. It, it was just let me stop and start with my my life and my childhood. So I was. Grew up in a big, fat Greek family, just like the movie. <laughs> and um, food was everywhere for us. We had food to celebrate. We had food for loss. We had food for normal, medium days. And um, and it was all over my family. I'm not even sure today that it's not, there's not a genetic link. I have five girl cousins. Four of them were bulimic. Um, one of them died from this disease when she was 26. She was throwing up and had a heart attack. Um, not very pretty. It's not a pretty disease. Um, and on the bathroom floor. And they knew she was bulimic. And she was being treated for it. And still, they couldn't fix her or save her. Um, uh, also, male cousins and family members who are overeaters and bulimic. Uh, and um, I'm just grateful that today, one day at a time, I'm not there. And I was driving up with Roz thinking that I know today, and I don't always feel this way, that I could lose this abstinence. And um, like that, I've seen it happen. I've seen someone with 20 years of abstinence go back out into their disease. And not only just go back out into their disease of um, binging and purging and overeating, but of laxative abuse, alcoholism, and cocaine abuse in 24 hours. So, um, and I was with her. I almost went down with her. <laughs> she was my sponsor. And I had like eight months of abstinence. <laughs> and it is by the grace of God I am still here. I have done nothing perfect in these rooms except get my butt in the chair. I have, um, my abstinence is definitely perfectly imperfect. And today, the only thing I can claim is that I'm abstinent because I um, do not binge and purge and I'm accountable. That does not mean I don't overeat. That doesn't mean I don't binge on other things or get into other addictions or try to or attempt to, whether it be vitamin abuse, fasting. For a while there, it was Beanie Babies. <laughs> I remember I would call my sponsor at the time over that and say, I have now spent $500 on Beanie Babies. <laughs> so... Um, 
You know, it, when I was younger, food was a huge part of our life. And um, by the time I was in, and sugar was a huge part of my life. And I snuck it and I ate it all the time. And um, I wasn't even big. In my family, there's two different body types. And I had my dad's body type that was more skinny. I had a belly. But um, I loved sugar and I snuck it. And my mom would stop me and she'd, she'd look at me and, you know, a real... The moment in life that I remember, and I don't remember a lot, was her grabbing my hand and saying, don't eat that. And I I said, you just had a cookie. Why can't I have a cookie? And she said, do you want to look like me when you grow up? And, you know, I was like eight. Yeah, I wanted to look like her when I grew up. What child doesn't want to look like their mother when they grow up or be like their mother? You know, I've met and worked with kids that are abused that honor and want to be like their mothers when they grow up. So to me, I just, I didn't get that. And it just confused me right from that get-go. And it was such a simple statement. And bless my mother's heart today. She's a big part of my life. We have a wonderful relationship. She even wanted to come tonight. She said to me, if I um, come tonight, am I going to hear you say something that's going to hurt me? Is it going to be hard for me? I'm all, probably. <laughs> Not because I'm talking against her, but at being a mother now, I know it is hard to hear that your children hurt. And, and so... Um, and that's okay, because I probably would have felt a little more uncomfortable to share around her. She came to OA for a while. It was a great diet for her. It worked. She lost a bunch of weight and then decided that the diet worked and went did her own thing. I come from a, a house of compulsive dieters. They're all still on the diet today. It's been 20 years since I got abstinent, and they're still on the diet. My brother, my mother, my sister-in-law. That's hard. It is hard when people around me are fasting or being on a diet. Um, I, I want to jump in and do that. I still want to jump in and do that. And today I can say I can't. I can't go there. I can't talk about this. It makes me crazy. So back up. So I was. Um, there's a baby here. No. I got to talk about that in a minute. My babies. When I have my babies, because that was a crazy time in the program. But. I um, went to high school. I became daddy's perfect little girl. I got straight A's. I looked good on the outside. I had friends. I was popular. I um, had boyfriends. I was a smiler. I made everybody else happy. And by the time I was a senior in high school, um, I was one of the kids, you know, I didn't have abusive parents who weren't alcoholics, but everything looked perfect on the outside. And I was crumbling on the inside. And I was thinking of different ways to kill myself. And then my mom, my dad told me about this lady, and I was trying to control my weight. I binge, I binge, I binge. I was on the swim team. I'd eat, you know, ten meals, and then I wouldn't eat for a week. And or then I'd just eat French fries. Or oh, my family was in all those diets where we just do the banana and Snickers diet. And then we did the <laughs> diet. Called, there we did the. They're all, all the um, the pineapple diet. That one that. A lot of people died from, what was that diet? I forgot what that diet was. Beverly Hills, thank you. Did that diet. And um, and then my dad told me about this lady. He heard that she would throw up her food after she ate dinner every night. And I went, gee, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and it became easy for me. Within probably two weeks... I was throwing up very, very, very easily. and within a, But I only, you know, I would throw up at first. I'd eat a little too much and then maybe once a month. And then a couple times a month. And then once a week. And it became so easy. Then the next thing you know, I'd throw up probably pretty much once a day. And um, it got so easy that I started beca- becoming the one thing I felt I could do really good. 
because I could go in the bathroom and throw up and make it sound like I was, you know, I was in and out in four seconds. By the time I got to college, I didn't hold anything down. If I ate an apple and a cup of coffee and it made me full, it came out. I could not stand to be full and I could not stand to be empty. Um, and I just had this big empty hole and I just didn't know where I was. So I thought by filling it up with food, I would feel better. And then I felt like shit. And then i go get rid of it and um, or exercise it out or do whatever I did. And I still felt horrible. So back up a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit. You know, I'm on tape about my past. When I was in high school... And I think it's important because I find that in the program and a lot of girls I deal with and a lot of people I deal with, there seems to be something that's traumatic that happens in our lives that sets us apart or sets us off. Like I have this neighbor and she got into drugs and she threw up for a while when she was a cheerleader in high school and then she just decided to stop. And she decided to stop doing cocaine even though she was snorting, you know, I don't know, whatever they call it, a couple lines a day. How, did, how come she could just stop and I couldn't? I always wondered that. I don't know what set us off. But for me, it was a traumatic experience. It really set me. It was a defining moment in my life. I moved. I was, had a boyfriend. I was in love with this boyfriend. And I decided that I was going to, you know, be with him intimately and got pregnant, like, on the first time. And I was 14. I was 15. 15. My daughter is 13 today. I, I gotta tell you, <laughs> she brings up all kinds of issues for me every day. <laughs> and by the grace of God, I don't think she's gonna be there. I don't know though. I'm doing the best I can, but that's another story. Um, she's an amazing person, and she's an amazing person because she's being raised um, differently with self-esteem because of this program. I can raise her as a mother and give her her own sense of self. She knows I'm here tonight. She's very proud of that. She knows I work with young girls. She's very proud of that. She's always telling her friends, you know, talk to my mom if you have problems with your food or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that being said, she's 13. I'm sh- I know this too can pass. She may end up in these rooms. I don't know. I know today I've done the best I can because I'm taking care of myself first. And I'm putting my program and recovery first. And then I give away everything else. I give away a lot. And I probably give away too much. But... The one thing I still keep doing is get my butt in these chairs and keep coming to meetings. And um, so back up, I was a baby. Didn't tell anybody, had an abortion, except for the mother and this boy. Um, and they, it's really defining because I went to this hospital and I, I was in it's just a state of, you know, it was surreal. There's all these women there in gowns. And they said, make sure that you go home and have a good meal. So this mom drove me to a sandwich shop, and I got this specific sandwich. Today, I still can't eat those sandwiches. And, um, and every time I smell them, it brings the memory back up. Because it, I, I just I sat in the kitchen, and I ate this thing, and it just warmed my soul. And all of a sudden, I felt better. And it was at that moment, like food became my best friend. And I shut down from him and that mother and everybody else. And we moved at the same time. And... And um, I had friends, and I, and I had boyfriends, but I never, never, again, was as close to them as I was to my food. Food was my definitely. And, you know, bless my little heart, because at the time, I, I wanted to die so bad that I don't know if I didn't have the food that I wouldn't have done something to myself. 
like the food got me through at the time. It got me through life not ending my life. But by the time I got into college and I went to university and I lived in the dorms, it was like bulimic heaven or compulsive reading heaven. There was just like, you know, if you're a compulsive reader and you have dreams about food, this is where you go. Because you walk in, it's like a food court and everything's free. You can get as much as you want. <laughs> cool. I take my bag, I put the food in, I wrap it up, and I saw this girl about my sophomore year. I, I went through this. So by this time, I'm two years into college, and I'm probably binging and purging ten times a day. I'm probably putting down close to 50,000 calories on any given day. Um, maybe 30. I don't know. I tallied it up once, close to it. I had a girl. I, I spoke at a high school down in Orange County. And the student raised my hand and she said, seriously, 50,000 calories. And I, she said, how could you do that? I won't think about it. If you're just, if you're not holding it in. You know, I go to the 100-pounder meetings. And um, I know you, should sit, you, can, you can speak at those if you've lost 100 pounds. But I raised my hand. I'm like, okay, I'm not a 100-pounder, but I definitely ate enough to be a 100-pounder. <laughs> I mean, if I had held that food down, I'd be a 400-pounder. And... So I feel like I qualify because food was, to me, the same thing. I had this other thing, though, that I just didn't keep it down. But, um, and so I went through college like that. I saw this girl hiding her food, too, and I was so struck, struck in that someone else would do what I did. I didn't believe it. I didn't think there was anybody out there. She, I would watch her every day. I was obsessed. I'd go, and, and she came at the same time every day, and she ate a huge salad, and she put about 12 20 cookies in her bag, and then she goes directly, directly to the bathroom downstairs um, out of the dorms and get rid of her food. And it was by the grace of God, too, that I'm alive today because I was doing the same thing. But I was, like, leaving in the middle of the night, driving to fast food joints on a, on a university campus and walking around looking for open bathrooms at 2 in the morning. I cannot believe I was not attacked or raped or murdered. I just, today I look back at that. I'm like, that's another grace of God for me, and I know a lot of people do go through traumatic things like that, but the people that do end up here um, and do have those things happen, you know, it's like part of us wants to die, part of me wanted to die, but there was something that wanted to live. Every one of us in these rooms has grasping onto something that wants to live. And not just live, I didn't come here, at first I thought I'd get cured. I kept coming back because I didn't want to just live a mediocre life. I wanted a life beyond my wildest dreams, like those promises said. I seen, I would see people speak that had something beyond just acceptance of that mundane, middle-of-the-ground life. I, I accept the gray parts of my life. I don't have to have high highs and low lows, but I want something more. I don't want to just live. I want to live a life beyond my wildest dreams. I keep thinking of that. I don't know why. So um, I, um, by my senior year in high school, college, um, it was crazy. And I was living with six girls in the summer. They all worked. I didn't because I had made straight A's and I was daddy's good little girl. And he said, just enjoy your summer. So I enjoyed my summer eating and replacing everybody's food all day long. <laughs> that was my job. I was good at it. spent a lot of money. told my dad that I was just taking everybody out and helping my roommates who were poor and they couldn't afford food. So I would take them out to dinner all the time. And I proceed to, it's crazy, I mean, it's crazy making, but I proceed to eat all their food. If they had half this much water left, let's say this was chocolate, I'd eat all that. I'd go to the store, buy more, and eat it down to there. I'd measure it. I'd go find a trash can that wasn't anywhere my new roommates could find it, and I'd replace all their food all summer long. And they never knew. 
one of them lives next door to me now. She's a really good friend of mine. That friend, at the time, did live in my room with me, and I was I was crying and um, in my sleep, and I was talking in my sleep, and I was grinding my teeth in my sleep. And she gave me the name of this therapist, this card. Said, "Call this therapist. Something's wrong. I don't know what's going on with you. Here's a check. Go see her, please." I gave her back the check. I said, "No thanks. I'm fine." I gave her back the card, and I memorized the number. <laughs> and I went and saw the therapist. She was by. She was just a gift, an angel. I'm thinking I want to find her because the reason she was a gift, besides the fact that I couldn't afford her and she let me see her anyways, she was in Newport Beach, she was like a $200 an hour therapist and she let me pay her $20 an hour. Um, she led me to 12-step programs. She told me about these 12-step meetings and she thought maybe I should try them. So I went to my first 12-step meeting and it was a bunch of women um, that looked like my mother. Oh my God. Out of here, man. I am not one of them. And, and I don't want to be one of them. So I hightailed it out of there before the meeting was over, and they went back and told her, that's not me, that's not me. She's like, I want you to try another one. I'm like, no, no, no. And by the time I got to therapy, my eating disorder got worse because the feelings started coming up. So now I was binging and purging all day long. On top of before I go to therapy, I binge. When I got Walked out of therapy, went straight to a restaurant and binged and purged. I could not cope with the feelings coming up, starting with that abortion. But everything from I just my my self esteem was so low, I was in this pit. I felt like I didn't have enough problems to even have the disease. I had heard these women share about abuse and molestation and alcoholism in their family, and I didn't even have that. I wasn't even good enough to have the disease. I didn't even deserve it. How shitty am I? I had this great life. Okay, my parents are compulsory leaders, but I have, I'm so privileged. How can I even be so ungrateful? And then I continued to binge and purge, and then I'd watch like, the starving children from Africa on TV while I was binging, thinking I'm such a piece of shit because I could, these people are starving, and here I am eating this food. This is a disease. It is a cunning and baffling and powerful disease. And it just brought me down. It's like a demon for me. It sits on my shoulder, and it brought me down, further, down, further, down, further. So now I'm binging and purging all my neighbor's food. I'm eating out of trash cans. And um, I decide to try another meeting. And I go to this meeting. It's a bulimic meeting. Today, it doesn't matter what kind of meeting I go to. I relate. And it doesn't matter the size of the person there. And it doesn't matter the age or the sex of the person there. I know I relate to them. I, really, I feel like I relate to everybody. Back then, I saw these women that looked, college students that looked like me. And I sat in the corner and cried. And I bought all the books. And I put them in a brown paper bag. And I put them in my trunk. And then I went home and threw up. It binged. Like, Why can't I get it? I bought the books. I'm going to meetings. <laughs> you know? I don't get it. What's wrong with me? And I kept going. I don't know why I kept going. I still have those books. Someone suggested I open one. I open one. <laughs> I kind of started working steps with that sponsor I told you about that went back out. She talked and walked a great program, man. She looked great on the outside. She didn't really have a really strong relationship with higher power, but she talked good. And um, I started working the program with her, kind of, but I was still in, in my disease every day. And by the time I got out of college, I decided instead of going to Europe and eating my way through Europe, which I knew I would do, from the meetings I'd gone to, I tell my parents about it and I get help. My um, my other sponsor had said perhaps you should look into a hospital unit. You need to get abstinent. You can't think clear when you're eating that many calories a day and throwing it up 
or starving yourself or just eating, it actually affects you physiologically. You can't think clearly. It's like a drug. The sugar is like a drug. You need to get think clearly so you can get on abstinence, so you can get to work in the steps. So I, um, I went and told my parents I had this small problem. I kind of ate and threw up my food once or twice a month. And they said, no problem. We'll deal with it, honey. No problem. So I'm thinking about getting help at this hospital, and they were very supportive. And um, I went to this hospital, and they started family therapy, and my parents came, and they're just, okay, they're already in denial. So my brother is showing up with his family therapy. He's like this, because he's selling crystal meth out of the window. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he's an AA now. That's good. <laughs> he's really strong in AA. My poor parents. They know all about cool stuff. So... Um, he, you know, they have him on the side, so I look like an angel compared to this. <laughs> and they come to this, you know, these family workshops, and my mom comes up to me and says, Oh my God, I finally figured it out. I'm a bulimic too, I just don't throw up. <laughs> and we can get help together. We can work on each other's food together, I'm all. And, you know, the red flags are going up because I haven't been in enough meetings going, That's not a good idea. And um, bless her heart, she kept coming back. Not everyone's parents did. I was lucky. I've been lucky in my life, too. I've had some unlucky, and I've had some lucky times. So um, I, I went to this hospital program, and they sent me to a meeting. And this was the first day of my abstinence, and that was June 1986. So it's been almost, it's been almost 21 years since I have not binged and purged and um, been accountable. And um, that, by, by the grace of God, it feels like yesterday sometimes. It really does. And sometimes it feels like a lifetime ago. That's almost half, you know, that's like, I'm almost coming up on that point where it's going to be half my life. It catches up. I'm 43, so next year I'll be, it'll be 21 years, for, you know, like in two years. <laughs> anyway, that's how my mind works. I'm a little OCD. So <laughs> I count numbers. That's okay today. I can do that. As long as I'm accountable and working a program, that doesn't make me too crazy. But I I went to this Wednesday night meeting down in Costa Mesa and got a sponsor. And I just started I just I just started doing what they told me to do. I just knew this. My way was not working and I didn't want to die. I knew that pretty much. By the time I came, I went to the meetings, before I went to the into the hospital program, I was just on the floor, bathroom floor, crying almost passing out, dizzy, praying to God to not die, and fantasizing about my funeral at the same time. And I, you know, I'd be on the freeway, and I'd be driving, where can I just pull off the road? I'd be at the beach, I'm just going to go on the waves and keep going. I mean, I thought about it all the time. I just wanted to end the pain. But something in me didn't want to die. I just wanted to kill the disease. And that's, I think, why I'm still here. There is something a little stronger that, you know, I think why I'm here is to do this. I think my purpose is to do this. And um, I'm really grateful for that. Because, um, and I'm very proud of it, but mostly I'm very humble about it today because I know I've seen people die from this disease. Not only my cousin, I sponsored girls who have died from this disease. And I watch my family slowly kill themselves sometimes some of my family members with food and this disease. 
you know, and it, it, it's not a direct hit like a shot in the head and, and maybe not like a shot in the arm um, and maybe not like 16 bottles of scotch, but it's a slower death. And I know this, that the act of compulsory eating and playing around with my food and binging and purging or starving myself every 10 days will take years off my life. I know that that's a, that's a proven fact. That's a medical fact. So, it hurts me. You know, I sponsor girls. I know also today, I started this meeting at my... Okay, so, I got... I went to these meetings, and I just kept coming back. I got a sponsor. I had crazy sponsors in my in my abstinence. I literally had this sponsor who was committed. She um, was crazy. <laughs> Institutionalized her. I can't believe I see that. She was cra- She was mean to me. I... <laughs> I'd call her and I'd be like, okay, I had my three meals and I, I started to eat a chip at happy hour and then I realized I'm only supposed to have three meals. She goes, did you have a chip? Well, yeah, I only have one chip. You need to start your abstinence over. I'm like, I just have one chip. <laughs> she goes, I went to the meeting. I'm sure I lost my abstinence. Thank God for, you know, the other woman there said, honey, uh, you had a chip. Your abstinence is no binging. I'm purging. That chip's not binging. So, um, today, what do I qualify as binging? It's hard for me. My line is fine. It's, my road has narrowed. My road was this big when I got in, so I wouldn't fall off. Because, to me, the problem is binging could have been an apple and a cup of coffee if that made me full. So, when I say no binging, it's basically no, whatever doesn't make me throw up <laughs> my food or get rid of it or take something to get rid of it. Um, so back up, I just kept coming back. By the grace of God, I tell you, by the grace of God, I hung on by my skin and my nails. There were nights where I was on the phone. I'm like, I cannot hold this food down. I'm not comfortable with it. You know, and someone said something to me at that Wednesday night meeting. You just need to keep coming back here. We will love you until you can love yourself. It took me a long time to love myself. Like years. It took me a long time, and I don't mean to scare newcomers, because for some people, like, they get this aha and everything's better. Life was definitely better. I mean, I'm telling you, the worst day in my recovery was not as bad as the best day in my disease. Is that how it goes? The best day in in my disease was not as good as the worst day in my recovery. So that much I had going for me. I had bad days. I had hard days, but I knew this. Even on my high highs in my disease, I didn't want it back. I did not want to die, and I didn't want that feeling of of hating myself, of self, you know, self loathing, self loathing. I just, I was disgusted with myself. I was disgusted with the disease and and the act of physically throwing my food up and shoving food in my face uh, at the rate of a of a you know a machine and. And I hated myself for that. It is a disease. I was talking to a girl I sponsored this morning. She's like, I don't understand why this happened to me. I can't get asked. I said, I hear the word I, I, I all over the place. This is a disease. It, it is like the, the person who has, and it's in the big book, who has diabetes has to take a shot of insulin to live. I need these rooms, these programs to live. I it is, it is like my shot to be here, to come here. Because if I look at it like willpower or like I'm cured, then I'm going to go back out there. And I know that's in my head because there's bad days where I still think that a large pizza looks really good, the whole thing. 
And I know that normal people don't think that way. Um, they might think that a lot of people looks good, but I don't think they think that way. Now, what's normal? That's, I always say that's a study on a washing machine because I don't really know what normal is. I have really crazy people in my life. I have crazy people that don't have a disease. They don't have any more to go. And um, what is normal? All I know is in the world of food, normal is you know, my neighbor. I always talk about my neighbor, Barb. Oh, if Barb ever heard this, actually said her name. She's like this normal Midwestern person, you know, and she has chocolate when she, you know, and she feels like she's had too much chocolate. She needs to diet, so she doesn't have chocolate for a couple of days. She cuts down her bread, and then she's fine, you know. And then, that's okay, and she feels fine. <laughs> and she feels like she looks fat. Oh, I kind of look fat today. Well, okay, let's go walking, you know. And she weighs herself once a month. I don't even weigh myself. I haven't weighed myself in 20 years except for when I was pregnant, and I stood on the scale backwards. The first year I was in program, I weighed myself 15 times a day, 20 times a day, and I got so crazy. I I had this meet, I started this meeting at my house, and this girl, we were talking about it, and we decided that the scale was an evil thing, so we got a hammer out, and we beat the hell out of my skull. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I was really, actually, I was a hands-on physical person in the beginning of recovery. I would tell my girls that I'd sponsor or, you know, when you write your steps, you need to let go of them. After you've read them to me, we're going to burn them at the beach. We're going to rip them up and pee on them. We're going to burn them in my, I was burning steps in my barbecue out in front of my apartment just to let go of them, to release them as an active, you know. And my husband's like, baby, you need to stop burning those peas in the barbecue because we can't cook now. I was in recovery for a year and I met my husband. And he is the most amazing person. And I'm very lucky, but I also know he's lucky. And I know God put him in my life. And I and I also know um, that I really, really almost lost myself in him because I was only a year absent. And I met him and I fell for him and we were together every day. And he became my end-all, be-all. And he was my therapist and he was my best friend. And I was losing myself in him. And my and I wasn't eating very much because I was on this high cloud nine. And then he went to Wayne Law School up here. And I felt lost. And I didn't know what to do. I wasn't going to as many meetings. And then, by the grace of God, I started this meeting at my house on Tuesday nights. It was a bulimic meeting. It's now a big meeting down in Orange County because um, I have my babies and I, I couldn't have it at my house anymore. But when I started having this meeting at my house, everything changed. My my abstinence and my program became my priority again. And um, that's where all my crazy stories are, but that's where, you know, my life got better and good. That's where I started loving myself because I was giving back. I, I was getting recovery. I was started working my steps, and I was giving back. And I think that's the key for me today. The 12th step is the most important step in my life. Besides the third, well, they're all important. I love the third step, too. But, um, I think giving back what I've received, I did service. I would go to meetings. I would put the chairs away, do the coffee. I just, I, I made commitments to be there. By putting this meeting in my house, I had to be there. And I had young girls coming and um, who were younger than me. I was only 24, but, you know, they were teenagers. And um, I was able to start speaking my truth. And I did tell anybody about my disease for a long, long time. Today I was at the baseball field with my son's baseball game. And these people I kind of know are like, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I'm up to L.A. to speak. They're like, speak, come on. I'm like, oh, I'm, at, I'm speaking on eating disorders at this place in L.A. They're like, oh, okay, cool, okay. Do you want to <laughs> I just 
Today I'm okay with where I come from, and the only reason I say that to them is it's amazing how many people come to me and say, really, I know my daughter's so-and-so, she has this problem, can I get your number? Or, my, or I'm working out with this girl, I know she's throwing it, you know, and I give them always website, or I give them a meeting list, is my way of 12-stepping now. I don't have as much time, I have two young kids, and I'm very busy in their lives. I know also that this this program will become more important in my life, more active in my life as they get older because I'm able to, um, I mean, I'll be able to give more. Right now I'm giving to them. That's my choice. I also still put meetings every week. And if I don't, I get crazy. I get crazy to them. I get crazy to my husband. My husband will say, you need to go to a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll say, I'm going to meetings. Like, oh, oh, good. Okay, fine. I'll pick the kids up. <laughs> he knows. He's <laughs> You know, 20 years with me, he knows that I am a saner, happier person when I am working my program. He has he has learned through trial and error. It was hard at first. You know, today if I ask him, I don't even ask him anymore, but in the beginning, I say, honey, does this baby look fat? What do you think of this outfit? And today he'll say, I'm not answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I'm, I'll be fine. Just stand, no, I'm not coming within 10 feet of that. And he walks out the room. <laughs> And he won't look at me. I'm not answering no, no, la, 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 la. Because <laughs> he has no right answers. <laughs> and um, it's been a good life. It's been, it's been, there's been hard times. There's even hard times today. There was hard times yesterday. My son hurt his elbow. I have to deal with this baseball coach. I have to go out into the real world and deal with PTA moms and the baseball coaches and the, and the principals. And those people... 20 years ago were so scary to me. And today they're not scary to me. Um, I have myself today, and I have God right here. And um, I have these rooms to go to. And if they intimidate me or I start to feel insecure, I come here and talk about it. And I know I have here to come and talk about it. When my babies were that little, five minutes, when they were that little, um, I, we, I had this girlfriend who makes me these little wraps, and her babies were the same age. We were just so desperate in program for meetings. We would just, like, meet. We had these four moms. We'd meet in our homes in this basement, and we'd bring our babies, and they'd be crawling around and crying, and we'd be, like, there was times I was, like, sharing to the wall. Nobody was listening to me. <laughs> and they'd be like, okay, and I'm Tish, compulsive reader, and I'd just talk. I mean, it was a crack up. We, you know what? We did what it took. We went to... We went through all measures. What, you know, I'm not great on all those um, quotes. I think I have a short-term memory, but I, um, I just, I was willing to do what it took, and I went to any lengths to keep my abstinence. I knew that um, women with babies between the ages zero and five have a real high incidence of going back out into the disease of picking up drugs, of drinking alcohol. I knew that, and I, I had fear of that, and I also, um, I didn't want that. I wanted the promises, and they still were coming true in my life, not totally. Today the promises have come true in my life. I feel uh, very at peace most days. For five years, it probably took me five years to wake up and go, oh my God, I'm not thinking about food 24-7. I thought about food 24-7, even in abstinence and recovery. But that has been removed shortly, you know. It has been removed slowly but surely. And today... Food is not an issue in my brain um, more than, I don't know, 1% of the day. It's actually an issue because I, I don't think of it enough. And I have a family. I think about cooking their dinner, and I don't think about it ahead of time. And mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing. But 
Today I can't run. It's not, it's not ruling my life. It's not my best friend, not even close. And um, it's, not, it's not where I turn to when I'm hurting. I come here. I have a great family and I can lean on them, but here's where I come when I'm really hurting and I need support. And I work the steps in my life on a daily basis on, in everything I do when I'm dealing with the principals, with the coaches. They come, they pop into my head today. They're part of everything I do. My relationships with my kids, my husband. The third step prayer is the most important prayer to me because um, I, I feel like it covers everything. It's, you know, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I might better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. I, had, I wrote this little thing and it covers all the steps for me. And I plug in my my kids' names in there when I'm having issues with my kids. And I was talking, you know, I plug in my, if I have a partner that I teach with, um, if I have issues with her, I plug her name in there. God, I offer Justin to thee, that's my son, to do with him and build him as thou wilt. I do that because that's what works for me today. I don't even pray for much of anything else. I know today God's will and his will for me will make me happy. He will always give me what I need. He may not give me what I want, but in the end, when he gives me what I need, that leads me to peace, you know, leads me to happiness. And um, so when I'm not living in self-will or in riot and I'm not trying to do it my way, which I still try and do, I do, um, and I just step back and take a breath, then my life is good. I had the sticker in my car. Did you see it? I got it. At the airport. Life is good. It is good. So... If you're a newcomer, I urge you to keep coming back. Just keep coming back. It's the biggest thing. And make phone calls. Get a God squad. Find people you're safe with. Do um, service. Reach out of yourself and do something for others. Because then it doesn't feel so desperate and lonely. And, um, and you know, go to any lengths. Um, and there is. There's light at the end of the tunnel and there's happiness. So um, thanks for having me. Thank you.